From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Hopefully with podcasts like this and more information around younger artists who don't have the resources to retain lawyers um, to advise them will learn more about how to protect their rights so that we can accomplish that goal. It's actually enshrined in our Constitution. That it's, a, it's a purpose of the United States to incentivize artists to create great art. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Artists who brought their works to the masses by way of graffiti and street art struggled to protect and control their images. Patent and trademark expert Daniel Ravitcher colors in the lawyer's role. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Dan. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, good to be here again. Thanks for having me. Last week, you and I were talking about the the piece in the New York Times about Banksy and his uh, the artist's efforts to regulate the sale of his work. Can you give us a little bit of a feel on how that worked? Absolutely. So um, let's start at a general level, and then I'll get into the specifics of Banksy and his art. So as a general level, our law wants to protect um, expression and creation. Um, at another level, our law wants to encourage economic development. So there are some things that uh, you can do uh, that don't get full protection from the law unless you fulfill certain commercial requirements. So that's, that's the general theme. So the way that our law protects creators and innovators is through a basket of laws called intellectual property. And there's four types of – there is no such thing as intellectual property per se. There's four things that qualify as intellectual property. They are trade secrets, copyrights, trademarks, and patents. And three of the four apply here to Bainsky. Perhaps the most important form of intellectual property Bainsky has, although it wasn't mentioned in the New York Times article directly, is the trade secret over his identity. Like that's one of the most important things is who is Bainsky. And a trade secret is information that has value because it's not generally known and it is the subject of efforts to maintain its confidentiality. So we generally think of trade secrets as being recipes or the uh, magic formula or my supplier list, my customer list, all that information. In this case for Bainsky, it's his identity Mm -hmm. and it's what his next project is going to be. It, the trade secret that um, the girl with the balloon painting was going to self-destruct immediately upon being purchased. All that information is protected by trade secret. And as long as he keeps it confidential and subjects it to efforts to keep it confidential, those are protectable trade secrets. And the, and the article about Bainsky mentions how he requires everyone he's dealing with to sign a non-disclosure agreement. That's one of the preeminent ways to protect your trade secrets. Uh, the next form of intellectual property is copyright. This is the one that most people immediately think of when they think of artists because copyright protects original expressions. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to be functional. Uh, you can have your own painting of a girl with a balloon. I can have my own painting of a girl with a balloon. The border between what's allowed and what's not allowed is called substantial similarity. If I create a work that is substantially similar to your work and I was aware of your work in advance, then I've infringed your copyright. Mm-hmm. So. I can't take a uh, I, I can't make a copy of your work um, without your permission. I can't even make what we call a derivative work or something that's substantially similar 
of your work without your uh, permission uh, under copyright law. And the laws I'm talking about here generally in the Uni- are in the United States, but we have the same kind of laws throughout the developed world. In the developing world, they don't have as many intellectual property laws, but in the developed world, we have them. The problem uh, with copyright sometimes is that you have to disclose a lot of information about how was the work created. Because if you try to claim copyright in the latest country music song about your truck breaking down and your dog running away, well, you can only claim what's original about your song. There's been millions of country music songs before then with the same themes or ideas or a romantic comedy. How many romantic comedies have there been? So you can only really get copyright protection on what's different between your creation and what previously existed. So in any kind of copyright dispute, the artist is going to be a material witness. So when you want to defend that you created a copyright, you had something original, the artist is going to have to participate that. Now, this article claims that Banksy doesn't want to rely on copyright law to prevent other people from making copies of his work or derivative works of his works um, because that would require him to disclose his identity. That's not necessarily true. We can protect trade secret information through copyright litigation. There's plenty of ways to do things under seal and file things names anonymously. But any savvy um, attorney will advise clients who are creative and innovative to take advantage of all the forms of intellectual property that are possible. So the third form, the trademarks, is one that we don't generally think about when it comes to art um, because a trademark is something that indicates the source of a good or a service so that consumers can be confident that if they see every – if they see the same golden arches or M for McDonald's or the name McDonald's, They know that every place that has that mark on it will have the same type of products and quality and pricing and other features. If I see several different shoes all with Nike or the the swoosh mark, that brand, that indication of source helps me know as a consumer what to expect as far as quality and pricing. So what's interesting about what Bainsky has done here is he's actually using trademark law to try to prevent other people not from selling knockoffs of his art, Mm -hmm. but from creating products that incorporate his art. So there is, for example, in the article mentioned a greeting card company. So Banksy doesn't sell greeting cards. He's not in the greeting card business. He could be, I guess, if he wants. Actually, that's the issue. So he wants to prevent greeting card companies from using his art on their greeting cards. Well, he could sue them for copyright infringement uh, if he wants to, because any reproduction of your copyrighted work is infringement, whether it's for commercial or non-commercial purposes. But in this case, Bainsky actually is registering his artwork and his name uh, as a trademark. So if someone tries to sell a product with his artwork on it, then he says, oh, that product infringes my trademark. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is Uh, Trademark law generally goes to the first person to use the mark. So the greeting card company in this case is saying, hey, you never used your artwork on greeting cards. We were the first ones to do that. And so actually, even though it's your artwork, uh, we were the first ones to use it with greeting cards, and therefore we have the right to use it with greeting cards. And so Bainsky's now surrounded by lawyers, Mm -hmm. uh, an artist who – um, purports to be um, uh, very anti-establishment 
and very non-commercial now is surrounded by lawyers who are trying to protect his rights to limit who can do what with his creations. So his lawyer said, look, uh, in order for you to have trademarks, you have to actually be selling products in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So Bansky actually opened an online store called Gross Domestic Product, which is a hilarious website. If you go and look at it, there's all these very interesting products there that have his artwork all over them. Like I saw a purse or a handbag where it's actually like a brick that's been carved out with some straps on it. It's very tongue in cheek. It, it's all, all the pieces are meant to make political statements. Like there's a little truck with little toy dolls. And um, this is meant to be a tongue in cheek children's toy, but it's all about how many, um, how many um, human beings can you shove into the back of the truck for human trafficking, right? It's all meant to make a statement. There's one piece that shows three drones flying in what had previously been like a, a, a duck piece and the, and the drones are flying to make a comment about how the surveillance state. Mm -hmm. But he actually was selling these products and he had to do that in order to establish his rights to exclusively own the trademarks. And if you actually go and search, even though he's from um, the suburbs of London and is an English person, he has applied to register his trademarks here in the United States. He has, as of last check, 13 different trademarks that have already been registered here in the United States. And so if anyone tries to sell, and if you look at his trademark registrations, what they relate to, they relate to anything dealing with stationary photographs, posters, books, um, pictures, any kind of entertainment service, film production, downloadable audio and video recordings, etc. I mean, some of his other registrations are for things that surprised me for like sunglasses and wallpapers for computers and artist materials, clothing, t-shirts, games, toys, etc. So he wants to use these trademarks to prevent anyone else from selling any of those products with his mm -hmm. marks on them. Cool. Interesting. Um, so here in Miami, we had an explosion of street art in the Wynwood Warehouse District back in the early 2000s that turned that neighborhood into a must-visit destination. Like Banksy, some of those early taggers have become artists of renown. So how did they protect their work? I'm thinking particularly of um, A-Hole Sniffs Glue when a fashion company used his sleepy eyes painted on a building in their all their photo spreads and in all their marketing and, and branding. Right. So if the artists were to come to me, I'd tell them there's a couple different ways to control the use of their art uh, or the copying of their art. The main one would be copyright law. Copyright law is pretty strongly written. Um, if you've registered your copyright with the Copyright Office, which is not a difficult thing to do, it's not an expensive thing to do. You get some very strong superpowers, including attorney's fees and automatic damages, and you can get injunctions. Um, unless the artist has already registered their art for certain products and, and opened up a store to sell those products, like their own T-shirts or tote bags or what have you with those designs, then it's going to be hard for them to use trademark law. Um, one other law that does exist here in the United States is VARA, the Visual Artists' Rights Act, which says if you've created art, someone can't destroy it uh, without giving you certain notice and rights to remove it. And so if we were talking about here are graffiti artists in Wynwood who developers want to knock down the building and rebuild it, they can't do that without complying with VARA. There was actually a case 
um, in New York about this where a building developer just in the middle of the night knocked down a building that had graffiti on it and the graffiti artist actually won for a violation of their VARA rights. Um, ultimately, the building owner is going to be allowed to knock down the building, um, but there are some notification and an opportunity to remove that's required. But in this case that you mentioned, we have a lot of great artists in Wynwood, and people will see their art and say, hey, I want to put that on a T-shirt or I want to put that on a whatever I want to sell. And then it comes down to whether or not the artist has the desire and, and the ability to um, contact those people and, and request uh, respect for their intellectual property rights. Mm-hmm. I, I find the odd little part of that, well, kind of twofold. One, that collectors have bought the buildings where Banksy has put his art and taken those pieces off. And they've gone in shows. I believe they've been sold. I don't really know a lot about it. But also, it seems weird that you can go to Wynwood back in the 2000s. Everybody was there. The air was filled with the smell of paint. You could tag somebody's building. It's not your building. It's not your sidewalk. What you're doing is illegal, yet now you have all these rights to it. Well, that and that's a stark contrast between the UK and the United States. I don't know if the UK has a similar VARA type right. So if it's in the UK where Bainsky – I don't know if Bainsky's done any work in the United States. I think it's all been in England. Um, there, the law may be that there's no notification and opportunity removed that's required to be provided to artists. Or uh, Bainsky may have very well been commissioned to provide that work. And so the building owner may have actually hired Banksy to come and do it, or Banksy may have negotiated with the building owner, especially when Banksy wasn't as well known. You can, you know, I get this sense from Banksy; he's a great artist, but I also get the sense that he's a great um, manipulator and marketer. And if he creates this kind of image, I'm a bad guy going around spray painting on people's buildings without their permission. That's going to be very interesting and attractive. The reality may be that he's planned all this and negotiated it and gotten permission to do it. And maybe even the building owner is in cahoots with it. Mm -hmm. You know, the artist goes to the building owner and says, hey, we can both get rich if we pretend as though I'm going to do something you don't like. And then we create a controversy about what happens. And then everyone's reading about it in the New York Times. That's much better than boring building owner hires poor broke artist and willingly allows them to paint on the mural. Right. So I'm a little bit skeptical. Maybe right. I'm, I'm, you know, that's my age and experience in this field. Um, but in England, I don't believe, and I don't know, I'm not an English lawyer, that there is such a right, or maybe that right was complied with. Uh, if the purchaser of the property has all the rights to the property, then they can destroy it. They can show it off, whatever they want to do. It's as if I buy property and realize there's gold in the ground or, you know, piles of cash. You know, I'm entitled to that as the new property owner. Um, here in Wynwood, this, this is part of the problem where um, young artists, inexperienced artists, haven't learned all the laws that exist to help them. And they don't know how to take best, best advantage of them. We see this in all fields of art, mm-hmm. including music, film. You see people who always complain about that record deal they signed when they were young and didn't know better. And when they were a nobody, um, you know, Taylor Swift will mm-hmm. complain about this. So, you know, hopefully with podcasts like this and more information around, 
younger artists who don't have the resources to retain lawyers um, to advise them will learn more about how to protect their rights so mm -hmm. that we can accomplish that goal. It's actually enshrined in our constitution that it's a, it's a purpose of the United States to incentivize artists to create great art. That's it, And that's something that is great about America, you know, that we really want to encourage that and protect those rights. Another flag-waving podcast from The Explainer. Thank <laughs> you so much. This has been great. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Maritime and International Law Distinguished Lecture Series. On February 24th, international expert Claudio Grossman discusses the seminal Chilean-Bolivian negotiations to Pacific Ocean access. For more information, visit law.miami.edu.